Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. It's day two of National Unmarried and Single Americans Week, so I'm sharing another episode from the Best of the Singles series with Leslie Kaz, author of Single Girl Bliss. Many of you remember Leslie from episode 83, where we talked about her journey and her book, and others of you may remember her from our Girls' Nights In that we were doing during the beginning of lockdown for several months on Friday evenings. We had... So much fun. Hashtag Prosecco Rodeo. All this girls' night in talk makes me want to bring them back, so stay tuned. So when I thought about the episodes I wanted to revisit and share during this week to highlight empowered approaches to the single life, of course, Leslie came to mind. She is a friend and an ally, and I know her words will uplift and encourage you this week and always. My conversation with Leslie after this. Leslie, welcome to the program. Good morning, Dr. Karen. Thank you for having me. So you wrote a book called Single Girl Bliss, How to Stop Feeling Alone and Start Feeling Alive. And first off, the book is fantastic. I loved it. I think it's a really important resource in a space that's dominated by how to snag a man books. (laughs) A woman's single, she goes to the self-help section, and usually she's just told what she's doing wrong. And if she sorts everything out, then all of a sudden Prince Charming will ride up on a white horse. And you may know I've written a book that's similar to yours, although our paths are a little different, but my book was very much not How to Snag a Man either. But there are very few resources, really. Mostly it's, I am this wise relationship expert and you, you pitiful person, keep doing everything wrong. And your book is not that at all, which A, I loved. And B, I have to say, first off, the first several chapters, I'm not sure if you're familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's as if you were writing from the perspective of a therapist who's well-versed in the power of our beliefs and our thoughts and how they absolutely define our, our emotional state and really basically make us either happy or sad on any given day? Well, first of all, I am overwhelmed by your compliments. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, you know, when I first uh, became happily single, I kind of looked around and realized that I was sort of an enigma. And you're, you know, you're right. Every, every, it seems like every dating or every self-help book for single women, I guess, is really about dating, about how to date better or how to make ourselves better so that we, you know, snag the right man. Um, And that wasn't really where I was coming from. And I thought, you know, this is going to be a fresh take on things because this isn't saying, here's how to make yourself better so that you can find someone. It's just, here's how to make yourself and your life better so that you can be happy regardless of your relationship status. Exactly. And that is such an important word. Really, anyone could benefit from your book, no matter what their relationship state, because you emphatically insist, and it's true, that it's not our circumstances that define us. 
It's how we interpret our circumstances. That's what defines us and our emotional state. And you even say in the book, the hardest part of being single is your own mindset. And I was thinking as I read that, yeah, it's not a thing to be single unless we make it a thing. That's exactly right. And and you touched on um, you know the, the thinking part of it, and that's why the whole first part of the book is about our thoughts and getting our thoughts right because. It, it's absolutely right. Being single is not a thing or it's not a bad thing unless we make it that way. And I made it that way for years and years and years. Um, I think the majority of single women make it that way or single people, period. Yeah, it's all in our heads. And and if you look at everything, everything in our lives is all in our heads. And when you learn that and when you learn how to change your thinking, it really changes your life. So again, you did not go to therapy and have a cognitive therapist. I did not. I did it all on my own. (laughs) I did. And it was, you know, it was kind of a difficult process. But once I got through it and looked back, I realized I can use this to help other women that, hey, I did this. It feels amazing. It's the most liberating thing I've ever done. And I can help others get there as well. In the book, you say, realizing that you have the power to change your thinking and thus change your beliefs about yourself is one of the most eye-opening things you'll ever learn in life. And I completely resonated with that because I know that, and it's not just my opinion, it's what research shows to be true. Cognitive therapy is the most effective with Mm -hmm. anxiety and depression. And anxiety and depression happen because we've got these faulty, distorted thoughts, as you identified. And if we're labeling ourselves as somehow inferior and somehow flawed and somehow damaged because we're single beyond what point in our life we anticipated being single, that's obviously going to make us feel miserable. And when you take control and take charge of those thoughts, Mm -hmm. as you explained so nicely in the book, it's completely going to change everything. That's exactly right. There are so many thoughts, I think, that the majority of single women think on a daily basis without even probably realizing that they're thinking them. And so that's why the whole first half of the book goes into those specific thoughts. And I I share 10 of them. And of course, there are many more than that. But I kind of chose the the 10 most most popular, if you will, to focus on. And it's really this mindset of, you know, there's something wrong with me if I'm single. I'm not whole if I'm single or I need to be with someone. And I think those thoughts are like a little gray cloud that kind of hang over single women for years and years and years. They did for me. They certainly did for me. And it was stepping back and taking a look at those thoughts and realizing that that was just something that was ingrained in me to be thinking that way, probably since birth or shortly thereafter. Certainly our families play a role in that. Society plays a role in that. And so changing our thinking about that and realizing that there's not something wrong with you. You are whole on your own. You don't have to be with someone in order to be happy is really, really powerful. And it, it, it really bucks the system as well. And so I think that's why it's such a difficult thing to change those thoughts. It is because others with the best of intentions want to give you some reason. And again, I resonated with your book because my book is very similar where I tackle some of the comments that single women hear, like you're too picky and you probably intimidate men with all your opinions and your sass and your verve (laughs) and things that I literally heard and I'm sure you've heard 
you, and again, I'm so struck and I love that you just came upon this knowledge yourself. I think that's pretty remarkable because so much of what you talk about in the book is really very therapeutic in nature. In fact, in uh, one chapter, you talk about instead of thinking this, think this. So you say something Instead of thinking frog number 12, which is the way you describe your exes, (laughs) instead of thinking frog number 12 dumped me because my thighs are too fat and my thighs have always been too fat, think frog number 12 was an idiot and I'm glad he dumped me. Otherwise, I'd still be stuck with him. My thighs are only too fat if I think they are. And if I do think they are, then I have the power to do something about it on my own terms. And in therapy, we would call that a reframe where you take a situation and you look at the story you've been telling yourself about that Mm -hmm. and you examine the possibility that there's another way to view that. There's another story to tell yourself about that that's equally true and probably more true, frankly, than the lie you've been telling yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it, It amazes me how many lies we tell ourselves on a daily basis, how many negative thoughts we tell ourselves how many negative beliefs we have, and we don't even realize it. And I think that is the key, is realizing it. And, you know, you asked if I had ever, you know, gone to a therapist, and I answered no. However, I read books and books and books. And in every book I read, and even though they, they sort of had different themes, they weren't all, you know, about being single or, you know, dating or whatever. Um, some of them were about business or success or being positive, living, living happily. They all had a common theme, and that was your thinking. They all had that common thread of you've got to figure out how you're thinking now, what you're believing, and change that in order to think and believe something else. Because what we think and believe becomes who we are. And that's that's it. I mean, that absolutely sums it up. And and it's my favorite form of therapy because of because the research shows how powerful it is mm-hmm. and because I've worked it on my own life. Mm-hmm. I remember learning these techniques when I was 22. I started grad school to become a therapist for my clinical psychology master's. And I remember learning these tools and you know, I was young mm-hmm. and I'm trying to integrate them into my work with my clients. But honestly, I felt the full power of these tools and, and techniques when I just worked them on myself during times when I caught myself thinking in a distorted manner, when I caught myself being irrational, when I caught myself telling myself a story that was my choice to tell myself. And I could just as easily, it's, it's, it's just as easy to think a positive thought as it is to think a negative thought that doesn't take any more neural energy. <laughs> right. And it, what happens is our default mode becomes negative when we tell ourselves these lies time and time again. Mm-hmm. So it's that taking charge. And that's why I like my dad used to say, take charge <laughs> when we would be playing sports. He'd be the fan in the, in the, in the stand saying, take charge. And I love that because if we don't take charge of our own lives, if we don't take charge of our own thoughts, no one's going to do it for us. Right. <laughs> so it's on us, but it's on us. And that's exciting because it's powerful. It is. It's very powerful. It means that we have the power to believe anything we want about ourselves, to think anything we want about our situation. And we have the power to change that and really become someone else. I mean, that's that's really kind of what I did. For 21 years, I was this suffering single girl who wanted nothing more than to get into a relationship with someone And 
after analyzing my thoughts and taking a look at what I was doing to myself, I was able to get out of that and really become someone completely different. And you mentioned in the book that you finally let go of what you call the endless search. (laughs) Right. That was huge. Giving up that search. I think women are not encouraged to give up that search. In fact, we're encouraged to do the opposite, and that is to keep searching. And you hear that over and over from family, from friends. Oh, you know, don't worry, you'll find someone. You know, just keep looking. Or sometimes it's stop looking, you know, stop looking, and then you'll find someone. But always the goal is to find someone. And so even when you're not specifically searching, like, you know, you're not on the dating apps or, you know, you're not doing things to try to meet people, still in your mind, you're still searching. You're just not actively doing it, but you're still on that quest because you've got to find someone. And once you give up that search and focus on yourself, you open up a whole new world for yourself. You absolutely do. And just as you were speaking, I was thinking, I get a lot of questions. I'm sure you do too. One of them I got recently, and I address a lot of these questions in IGTVs because I figure if one person reaches out with that question, there's probably others that have the same question. And this young lady was 22 years old and her biggest fear was being alone for forever. Right. I saw that one. And I thought, wow, Mm -hmm. to be in that space of fear at that tender age is setting herself up to make some really soul crushing choices. Either to, there was an abusive ex that she spoke about and she was having a hard time getting over him. And then there was a guy who she was just kind of buddies with, but he was into her. So she was considering Mm -hmm. trying to strike something up with him because if she felt truly in her soul that he was the only man who could ever make her feel special and that he was the only man that she knew of that she could see herself marrying. And wow, to think, I've got to just go with this dude who I'm just okay about Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'll be alone for forever. And that is the most horrible thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, this is just fleshing out this belief system that she was adhering to. That's the most horrible thing that could happen to me or any woman, just the most horrible thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To feel that way. So first of all, it's unfortunate that she looks at spending the rest of her life alone as something horrible. Right. (laughs) You know, because I can think of a lot of things that are a lot more horrible than Mm -hmm. that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot of things that can happen to you in life that are way more horrible than spending the rest of it alone, because that's another thing, this word alone. Um, You know, I'm alone. Are you ever alone? How can you possibly be alone? Unless you have um, moved to a tiny cabin in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness, you know, (laughs) how can, by yourself, how can you possibly be alone? You have your family, you have your friends, you have your coworkers, you have your neighbors, you have, you know, you have all these people around you. We define alone as not having a romantic partner. But just because you don't have a romantic partner does not mean that you are alone. And that was one of the things that I had to discover also was all of these other wonderful relationships in my life. And it's not that I didn't know they were there or didn't value them, but I didn't place emphasis on them, I guess, because all of the emphasis was on this person. 
you know, this person that I was going to meet, this person that I was going to be with, this person that was going to make me not alone. And I had to realize I'm not alone. I'm so not alone. I have all of these fantastic people. And it's really important to nurture those relationships, especially when you don't have a romantic relationship, because then those other relationships become that much more important for you. So true. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is the new black, don't wear white till it's right is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N.me. You also mentioned in the book that the research you came across found that single women are actually happier. (laughs) And I actually saw a study, but this was way back. I've looked for this study and I haven't found it, but I'd love to hear some of the research you came across. But it listed the happiest people in our culture. Mm -hmm. Number one was single women. Number two was married men. Number three was single men, and number four was married women. <laughs> and that all <laughs> that always stayed with me during my many, many, many years single. And I turned it into a quote that I posted a long time on Instagram. I should probably post it again just because it's relevant to what we're talking about. I said, marriage is great, but only if it's a great marriage. Mm-hmm. And what happens is because people fear being alone, they fear being single. And to your point, they're not really alone, but they perceive themselves as alone because they don't mm-hmm. have that person with them. Then they settle for a very mediocre marriage. And then they are angry because their expectations aren't being met, Mm -hmm. but they settled in the first place and they need to own that part. And then they're in this mediocre or subpar or worse abusive marriage Mm -hmm. and alienated and hating it and going, man, I didn't realize how good I had it when I was single. If we can embrace being single and should it be our path for forever, so be it. And should it be our path for a season, also so be it. But embrace it, then we come from a position of strength in choosing a partner. We're not choosing someone because I just need someone to fill this void. I'm Mm -hmm. choosing someone because I want this person because I have such a great thing going on. My girlfriends and I used to say, if he's not part of the solution, he's part of the problem. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) if my life is so fantastic that I'm only interested in a partner that's going to enhance what the great life I already have, that is a powerful position from which to approach the dating realm. That's absolutely right. And, you know, it's funny that you should touch on that because I've had a couple of conversations recently about that. And I feel like where I've gotten to in, in my life and in my thinking now I feel kind of like a superhero <laughs> because I you am should. so <laughs> well because it's, it's not normal to be single and be happy and really be happy about it and I am. Yeah, that's that's kind of why I feel like the superhero because I now have gotten to this place where because I am so happy 
with the life I have. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Everything is not perfect in my life. (laughs) You know, there are still things that I'm working on. There will always be things that I'm working on. I mean, I don't think anybody ever just looks at their life and thinks, oh, everything is, you know, just super fantastic. But the relationship aspect of it certainly is. I am completely happy on my own. If I never (laughs) meet anyone ever again in my life, I'm perfectly okay with that. And I feel like if someone were to come along, because I haven't, I haven't 100% closed that door, you know, anything can happen. I believe that someone could still come along, but I now have these standards that I'm going to hold that person to that ensure that I will never get into another relationship that doesn't serve me and serve me extremely well. Well, and being a superhero is a fantastic place to be because superheroes hang out with other superheroes. So Mm -hmm. should that day come that you meet someone, he is absolutely going to be like-minded, also super self-sufficient and loving his fantastic life. And you two will just jet off into, I don't know, where do the superheroes hang out? (laughs) I don't know my comic books very well. I think on another planet somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Another topic that you bring up that I think is so important is having furry companions in our lives. And as a former, I sadly just lost my last kitty. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Just last week. It's horrible. Um, So for all the cat ladies out there. I'm one. Send me some love. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending you some. Yeah, thank you. When I was 34 and called off my wedding, I started a brand new chapter of my life and I adopted three kitties Mm -hmm. and I started to really take issue with this cat lady crap because (laughs) I was over 30, Mm -hmm. I lived alone and I had more than two cats. So (laughs) I was labeled a cat lady. But to my mind, a woman who rescues some kitties from an alley in Chicago, Mm -hmm. wouldn't that be a kind, compassionate, loving thing that would be more attractive to a man? Why is this a pejorative thing? And so I love that you embrace your cat lady-ness. And I also love that you spoke very candidly about a dark time in your life Mm -hmm. that really your kitties were instrumental in helping you keep your your head straight Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was the only time in my life where... I ever contemplated taking my life. And it, and it even seems weird to, to, to verbalize that because I never got to the point where I was actually, you know, making any sort of plans or, you know, anything like that. But I was, right. I was in a state of depression and I thought, if this gets so bad to where I can't take it anymore, this is an option. And I had never considered that as an option before in my life, no matter how bad things got. But this particular point in my life was, was just that bad. And yeah, I started, I started running down how that action would affect the people in my life. And all of the people in my life, I felt could handle it, you know, would, would end up handling it in some way, would, would come to terms with it and would get past it. But then when I looked at my cats, I thought, how are they going to justify this? You know, they, they don't have the capacity to do that. And how could I possibly do that to them? Because I give them a pretty good life, you know? And how can I possibly, through my own selfishness, take that away from them when they've done nothing wrong? And so it was looking at them and realizing how much they needed me and depended on me and 
you know, loved me. I don't know if there's any research out there on animals having the capacity to love, but I think that they love me. And how could I possibly do that to them? They're my responsibility. And, you know, I think we learn a lot from them as well about handling things, you know, how they handle things. You know, I recently actually, one of my, my cats had to have surgery recently and actually lost an eye, had to have an eye removed and had to have surgery mm-hmm. on the other eye as well. So something pretty major. And three days later, he's running around like he didn't just lose an eye, you know, <laughs> and, and wasn't still in pain from the surgery, you know, from that surgery and from the surgery on the other eye. And I thought, how are they so resilient? Well, first of all, animals have different pain receptors than we do, but it's also because they don't think about it. They don't have the capacity to, they don't think about this horrible injustice that's just been done to them, how their life is going to change because of this, et cetera, et cetera. All of the things that humans would think that would make everything so much worse. They just accept it and move on. And if humans could be a lot more that way, I think we, we would be a lot happier. Right. So when I got married to my husband, we I had three cats and he had two dogs. And we would take the dogs to the dog park so they could get some exercise. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you'd see a little guy with three legs, for example. Yeah. And people would be like, oh. And I was like, that dog doesn't know he has three legs. That dog's no. living his life. You don't need to be that. <laughs> like, that dog's like, what? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What's the deal? I mean, I'm just getting around. Like, they don't get it. Again, they don't have that sense, which is honestly yeah. a bit of a gift, isn't it? That they yes. don't realize how they're perceived by others. They don't realize. I mean, I'm sure your cat's like, what? After a couple of years, you lose an eye. It's, it's the way things go. Whatever. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. that's we absolutely can learn from them. Absol- I mean, he can still see. So, okay, I only have one eye to see out of instead of two. Oh, well. <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit crazy, but but it is. It's definitely something we can learn from. And there are all kinds of things you can learn from animals. And so I just, I think they're an important part of anyone's life. Dan invented it because I kept burning my tongue on my black coffee. And then we realized the perfecter could do so much more. It's the only way to brew coffee or tea and then immediately ice it for iced coffee or iced tea without watering down the flavor. It also brings bourbon to a perfect chill, again, without diluting it or bruising the flavor notes. But my favorite application, wine. The Perfector takes your room temperature red to the recommended low 60s in just 20 seconds. And as a bonus, the Perfector aerates your vintage as well. Check out all the Perfector's applications, including bringing white wine to its most flavorful temperature at drinkperfection.com. Love and Life listeners can use promo code PODCAST at checkout for 20% off your Perfector. In chapter 10 of your book, you talk about the notion that life begins when my relationship begins. I remember that movie, I think it was called Bride Wars or something, Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway. So Kate Hudson and, and Anne Hathaway are both engaged, and I think they go to the plaza in uh-huh. New York, and they sit down with the wedding planner there, and she says, ladies, your life has begun, <laughs> which is horrible. <laughs> In my book, I have a chapter called Don't Be a Lady in Waiting, where Mm -hmm. you're just waiting and you're living what I call living in the whens. When I get a boyfriend, when I get married, when I have babies. And so many women live like this. Absolutely. 
I did. <laughs> and so I know full well what that's all about. You know, and I think part of it is that you expect everything's going to change when you meet this person, right? You're probably going to live somewhere different, like at least in a different home. And now you're going to be cohabitating with someone and you're going to be sharing all of these things and you're probably going to be introduced to new activities and things like that. And so I think you think that everything will change. So why bother doing anything now? Because everything's going to change anyway. And I think that's part of it. And Another part of it is that you don't bother having a life of your own or defining what that life looks like until that person comes along. You're, you're waiting for that person to give you a life. <laughs> now, that wasn't me. I, I didn't wait for somebody to give me a life. I lived my life. But I did put certain things on hold or think that, oh, I can't do this or that because I don't have, you know, a husband or, you know, someone in my life, a romantic partner. And I think a lot of women do that. And, and I think it's really, really important to, to define what your life looks like without somebody in it. I think a lot of times we define who we are as a future something, you know, as, as a future right. um, existence of how I'm going to be when I'm married or when I've got this person and I'm in this relationship. And so a big portion of my book is about defining who you are right now and who you want to be in the future outside of a relationship. So basically, you know, if 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 God or you know source or the universe or whatever it is you believe in came to you and said you know, hey, I'm sorry, but it's never going to happen. You're never going to find this person. You're, you're going to be alone for the rest of your life. What does that look like? And how is that going to be a happy and good thing for you? Right. And how are you going to make meaning of that? What is it going to mean? Like we talked about earlier, the one young right. lady, to her, that meant that life would be unbearable and not worth it. Right. But we decide what our life is going to be and what meaning right. we ascribe to our life. And I think it's really important to start living that life, figuring out what that happy life is. What are the things I want out of life? And sure, maybe a relationship is one of them, but what are the other things? And what can I do now to have those things and to have that life? Because even if you are one day going to end up with someone great, how do you know when that's going to be? That might be in five years. It might be in 10 years. It might not be for another 20 years. So are you going to sit around not living the life that you want to live for the next 20 years because you're waiting for that person to come along? Or are you going to define what that happy life is and start living it? Exactly. There's two things that come to mind. One, when I was single, I'd learned how to ski in my 20s. And not everyone skis in Chicago. So I, even in grad school when I was poor and I didn't have anyone to ski, a couple of times I would just drive up to Wisconsin and ski by myself because it was something I wanted to continue to learn. And I wasn't going to wait until I met my, my skiing guy. And I'm so glad I did that because my husband and I love to ski together. But if I'd put that on hold for 20 years until I met my man, 
I would be on the bunny slope while he was having fun and all the black diamonds. I can keep up with him because I didn't put my life on hold. And that's the first thing that comes to mind based on what you're talking about. And the second thing that comes to mind, when I was in my late 20s, my mom and I would take trips because my dad taught summer school. He's a professor and he didn't have the travel bug the way my mom did. So I would go with her. Mm -hmm. She was a school librarian when she was working. So we would take these kitty lit tours, which I wasn't super into children's literature, but I was super into travel. So I would go with my mom (laughs) and I would be with all these other women and I was always the youngest. Mm -hmm. And I remember in my late 20s, I was definitely living in the winds. I'd had a bad breakup with my last boyfriend in college and it had kind of extended on again, off again throughout my 20s. And then my late 20s, I had this season of not dating anyone, just no one was showing up. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely in that place of, I mean, I was traveling with my mom, but it was, I'd have those moments of, oh, but I'd love to be traveling with my guy mm-hmm. and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I remember there were a couple women on those tours who were widows and they had been widowed young, mm-hmm. like late 30s, early 40s. And I remember one day it just had that epiphany, like, Karen, even if you meet your guy, you don't know how long you'll be together. And I'm not right. trying to be morbid here, mm-hmm. but let's be honest. Like if you don't figure out how to be happy alone and then you get married and then sadly he dies early or something, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Like just snap out of it. Mm-hmm. You've got to be embracing and owning your own life and thriving in it. And if the dude shows up, great. And if he doesn't, you will not have wasted this healthy, wonderful life that you've been given. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. I think it's really important to look at it like that, that you really have to create that life for yourself. And part of that, and part of my whole process in figuring out what that was, is loving yourself. And I know you touch on that a lot. And that's a big theme for me also, is that you kind of have to fall in love with yourself. Because if you think about the people that you're in love with, you know, and and you're really, you're in love with a lot of people, you know, you're in love with your friends, or at least some of them, Um, you're in love with your family, you're in love with your pets, you know, you're in love with a lot of people, and you take care of those people. And if you're not in love with yourself, then are you really taking care of yourself? And I realized that I wasn't. Not only was I not in love with myself, I wasn't taking care of myself well. So here I was expecting these men to come along and take care of me well when I wasn't even doing that for myself. And so the first step in my journey to becoming happy on my own was that I actually took myself off the market 100%. And I decided that this was going to be a six-month period. I was taking myself off the market for six months. And I was going to start treating myself well, loving myself, and realizing all of the wonderful things there are about being single, because I didn't recognize any of those things when I was on the endless search. It was all about the search, and it was about finding someone, and nothing about being alone was good, (laughs) you know? And so when I took a step back and took this, this six months to fall in love with myself, to start treating myself the way you would treat someone that you're in love with, um, and to recognize all of the great things about being single, I never wanted it to end. And I never went back on the market. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just going to be six months. 
I was going to fix my thinking and, you know, fix all of that stuff. And then I was going to, you know, appear back on the market and everything was going to be different because now I was going to be ready, you know, to meet this great person. And, and I think that does happen for a lot of people. But what I found was I loved myself and my life so much that I didn't want to go back on the market. You know, I wanted to just keep living this happy life because when you put yourself back on the market, you, you do risk another frog coming along, you know, you do risk that. And even though hopefully you're in a better place to be able to deal with that, you know, maybe you have a few dates, you realize he's a frog and, you know, you kick him to the curb where in the past you, you would have fallen head over heels for him and he would have been, you know, quote unquote, the one until he wasn't right. (laughs) But yeah, I loved what was going on in my life so much that I didn't feel the need to put myself back out there. And that really contrasts with one of the chapters in your book where you talk about sometimes people will say things like, I don't want to be happy single mm-hmm. because if I'm happy single, then it will somehow send the message to the world that I don't need a man. And you and I would argue, yeah, you don't need a man. And actually needing a man is not a healthy position from which right. to be dating anyway. You say, and I quote, Creating your single girl bliss life and being happy on your own doesn't mean you can't want a relationship. It just means that you won't need it. And I love that. Thank you. (laughs) I love it too, because it's exactly the way I feel. It's the wanting and needing. And when you need something that badly, you are not going to choose well. And just like when you were talking about the 22-year-old woman you know, who was so fearing being alone for the rest of her life. She needs to be in a relationship. And you're absolutely right. What kind of choices is she going to make coming from that need? Not good ones. Yeah. It makes me very fearful is one of the reasons that I'm, like I said, I share these IGTVs and make them public instead of just responding privately to people when they ask questions, because I think, gosh, you know, she's not the only 22 year old. And in fact, another follower DM'd me and said, Man, I wish I'd heard that a couple years ago. She's she's young, she's in her mid-20s, and she had an early starter marriage, and it lasted not even a year. And I didn't know her, but it sounds like if we'd had a conversation, it might have been the case that the reason she married so young was she was struggling with those same fears. Mm-hmm. And that can happen, especially when you her parents married very young. And I know you mentioned that your brother and sister-in-law married young. And so when you see Mm -hmm. that around you, sometimes that seems to be the model. Mm -hmm. But what I love about your book as well is that you share so many perks. And honestly, my brother got married young. My other brother got married in his late 20s. So looking back, it didn't seem young at the time, but it's it's young. And, <laughs> right. and and certainly I felt like the odd man out for a while, for many years. Gosh, here's Karen home alone for Christmas once again. <laughs> but honestly, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing because there are so many benefits to those years of mm-hmm. independence. Mm-hmm. And you point out that probably sometimes when you get those snarky comments from your, I don't know how you put it, longtime married friends or whatever, you have a little acronym <laughs> yeah. for it. But sometimes there's a little bit of jealousy in there because we have so many perks to be able to have these mm-hmm. years to do whatever the heck we want and gain Mm -hmm. that confidence and gain that strength and gain that independence. Absolutely. You know, um, what I've realized over the past few years is that when you're single, you can create the exact life 
that you want, you know, and, and people will say to me, well, what if the exact life that I want has a man in it? <laughs> well, sure. Okay. <laughs> you know, but aside from that, and of course that's still a possibility. It's, you know, it's not like that's never going to happen for you, but in the meantime, aside from that, you have the power to create that exact life that you want. If you want to move somewhere, you know, live somewhere different, you can. If you want to take up a new sport or a new activity, a new hobby, you can. If you want to quit your job and sell your house and go sell toe rings on the beach in South America, you can. Because you don't have a responsibility to anyone else. And of course, if, if you have children, well, that complicates things a little bit. But if you're truly on your own, you get to decide exactly how each and every day looks. You know, there's no, well, I have to talk to my husband about it first. Well, we have to do this together. Well, he has to agree or I can't really do this. There is none of that. You get to define exactly who you are, not who you are in relation to someone else or who you are as part of a bigger whole. You're whole on your own. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May, tim at loveandlifemedia.com. And I love you also bring up this notion of some couples, if they have gotten together so young, they really don't have an identity apart from each other. Mm-hmm. And these Quotes that I would always really bristle when I would hear them. Some people would say, you know, he makes me a better person or she makes me want to be a better man. And I'm like, man up on your own. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on. I always hated that kind of rhetoric out there. Mm -hmm. And I love that my husband is a quality man of integrity and he is a complete gentleman, a man's man, but a gentleman, sensitive, kind, successful, and I didn't have to make him that way. Like, he's not like, Karen, help me be a better man. Come on. I just (laughs) hate that. He was that way on his own. And that's probably what attracted you to him. And you were that way on your own, which is probably what attracted him to you. And that's how it should be. But I don't think that's how it is very often. And especially if you've gotten married very young. Yeah, like you just said, you, you haven't had to define who you are on your own. It's always just been 
who you are in relation to the other person. And if it's the right person, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but a person can't make you happy or they can't make you who you are. You do that on your own. And just like you said, you know, own up to that, own that you did that on your own. It's your own, your own thoughts that make you happy. Another person can't make you happy. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Indeed. No question. And that's something that is also really grounded in therapy. I don't know. You may have a side hustle as like a therapist with, <laughs> I mean, you have so much of this therapeutic knowledge. I'm telling you, it's crazy, but I'm, I'm so glad to know that you're doing this work with your coaching. And I'm so glad to have met you in quotes. I hope to meet you IRL some point because I just that think we great. could just continue to riff on this stuff for forever. I think we could too. <laughs> yeah. As we wrap up, Leslie, One question I get a lot, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it because I hear it so often and I've addressed it to a degree, but it's something that I think a lot of the folks who listen and who follow my Instagram really struggle with. They may be in their late 30s, the clock is ticking, early 40s, and this vision of their life that they've always anticipated involved being a mother. Mm -hmm. And this is something that sometimes I think is even more devastating for these women than the idea of remaining single and flying solo for a few more years or for the remainder of their life. But the idea that they won't be mothers is something they they really, really wrestle with. So could you speak to that a bit? Yeah. You know, I didn't address children a whole lot in my book because I don't have any. And so I felt like, okay, I'm definitely not an expert in being a single mom or, you know, anything to do with children because I didn't have any. And I never personally felt that need. There wasn't this strong, I've got to be a mom thought in my head or belief. Thankfully, you know, thankfully, because I, I do think that is something that a lot of women struggle with. And I think, probably a lot of women end up, you know, just marrying someone just so that they can be a mom. But I think the thing is, you don't have to do that in order to be a mom. If being a mom is really what you want, and I mean, this is really like, I've got to have children. You know, this is something I've wanted my whole life. And it's, you know, very deeply rooted inside of me. I don't think that you have to settle for someone in order to do that. And of course, choosing to be a single parent that's that is a huge a huge undertaking. I mean, I honestly don't know how single parents do it, especially ones who don't have support from a partner or, you know, familial support or friend support or something like that. I don't know how they do it, honestly. That's got to be one of the most difficult things um in life to do, but it can be done and people do it. And if that's something that you really want, I don't think that there should be that clock ticking on got to find someone, got to find someone so that I can be a mom, become a mom. I actually have a couple of friends who've done that. They reached 40, you know, like you were saying, late thirties, they reached 40 and kind of went, okay, it's now or never. I either have a baby or I don't. And they did, they chose to do that. Um, And so I still don't think even with children that, that you must find a partner in order to do that. And if someone decides that they can't do it on their own or they don't want to do it on their own and they do need to find someone, then maybe they need to start looking at how life can be okay in the same way that I had to look at how can life be okay if I'm single for the rest of my life. 
then maybe look at how can life be okay if I'm childless? Is there something else that I can do? Can I volunteer with, you know, children's welfare organizations or something like that in order to get that attachment? You know, how can life be okay if this is not going to happen for me? Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm just looking to ask others who are in this space and hoping that as you explain how you've navigated those waters, that that would be something that could be helpful for someone listening. So thank you. And as we wrap up, Leslie, I want to give one final quote, because another thing that I hear from listeners and followers is that they can be okay, but they feel that there's so much pressure from their family and pressure Mm -hmm. from their friends and the comments, and it gets exhausting and the single shaming is rampant. (laughs) But you say something that I feel was so powerful. When you talked about in chapter 16, your family and friends, you said, if you change how you feel about yourself, chances are how you feel about your family and how they feel about you will change as well. And I love the notion that you set the tone, you change how you perceive yourself, and then you're projecting that energy. And people have Mm -hmm. no choice but to respond differently to you. When you felt like this tragic single girl, (laughs) then people responded to you that way, right? Here's a word of advice. Here's what you should do. And oh, I feel so bad for you. I pity you. But when you start to love yourself and love your life and feel completely fulfilled, then you are emanating that. And people have no choice but to go, oh, okay, she's cool. Mm -hmm. And so your friends, your family, everyone responds differently when you embody that fullness of yourself, loving your life, loving yourself, changing your story as we've talked about Mm -hmm. and not seeing yourself as this tragic figure, but rather as a superhero, as you put it. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And that actually happened with me, with my parents. I think for many, many years, for as long as I wanted it to happen, my parents did too, wanted me to, you know, meet someone and quote unquote, settle down. And I think it was their thought that they feel responsible for me until I get married and then somebody else is responsible for me. <laughs> so I think it was sure. it was partially to relieve them of the obligation of being responsible for me, even though now I'm in my late 40s and they, they, they really aren't responsible for me anymore. Plus, they want you to be happy. And I think that's another mindset, kind of a societal mindset, is that you can't be happy until you're partnered up with someone. And so if happiness is being partnered up with someone, then that's what people want for you. They want that for themselves and they want that for you. But we all know that being partnered up does not necessarily equal happiness. Um, I was partnered up several times. It did not equal happiness. So we all know that's not true. But I remember going to visit my parents at their house, which is in a different state from me. And it was summertime and we were sitting outside and I decided, you know, that I was going to tell my parents, hey, guess what? I'm happy on my own. So it ain't happening, you know? (laughs) And I I kind of felt like I needed to break the news to them, you know, Um, because they had wanted this for me for so long. And so, so I did, you know, I told them and I said, you know, I'm just, I've just become happy on my own. I figured out who I am and what I want and I'm living that and I'm owning it and I'm loving it. And I don't feel the need to have someone in my life anymore. And I didn't get the reaction I expected. What I got was, you know, my mom said, well, we always kind of wanted you to meet someone that, so that you'd have someone to grow old with, but who's to say that's even going to happen, <laughs> you know, that you're going to grow old with someone? Because like you said, if that person, you know, meets with a tragic accident at a young age or something like that, well, you're not going to grow old with that person. And so they sort of came to the realization that their view of how 
things should be isn't necessarily how they really should be. And so right then and there, they accepted my stance on the whole thing. And that was that. You know, there was no arguing with me. I put it out there. Hey, I'm happy on my own. And they were like, hey, that's great. So powerful. Such Mm -hmm. an important reminder for all of us, no matter whether coupled up or not, we set the tone Mm -hmm. and people respond to what we're throwing out there. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be hostile and it doesn't have to be, I'm fine on a defensive posture. It's just, hey, I'm good. So kind of letting your parents off the hook. You don't need to worry about me anymore. I know you're loving me the best you can, but I'm good. Everything is just fine. Exactly. And you know, friends have been truly amazed and are thrilled for me and think it is so great that not only have I found this place where I'm happy on my own, but that now I'm helping others as well. And just the outpouring of support from friends has been overwhelming and something I'm so blessed with and grateful to have. That's wonderful. It's just so wonderful. And I want to thank you again for coming on the program and sharing your very inspiring and empowering message. And the book again is called Single Girl Bliss, How to Stop Feeling Alone and Start Feeling Alive. And as I said, as a psychologist, there's all kinds of great cognitive techniques to help you absolutely start feeling alive. So Leslie, thanks again so much for coming on Love and Life. Thank you so much, Dr. Karen. I have really enjoyed our talk. And please let everyone know where to find you on social media, website, all of that. Absolutely. So my website is simply lesliekaz.com. So it's L-E-S-L-I-E-K-A-Z.com. And I also have a freebie on there. So lesliekaz.com forward slash freebie. That's a roadmap to single girl bliss. So it's a three-day, three-part drip into your email roadmap where you can work through the things I talk about in my book. Um, and then Instagram is Leslie Kaz, all one word, underscore, single girl bliss. And Facebook is just Leslie space Kaz. Great. Thanks again. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is single girl bliss is possible. Take a page from Leslie's playbook and identify those limiting beliefs and thoughts that are keeping you from living your single girl blissful life. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Thanks for joining us this week. And a very special thank you for subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. And if you have a second, please rate or review Love and Life. Little gestures like this make a huge difference. Thanks again, and until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram.